Matthew chapter 5, and today our text is verses 13 through 16. We spent a good eight weeks in the Beatitude, and we also had mixed in there a short series on the new birth. Um, And both of those things, both of those topics are going to be relevant to these next few verses. And we have to remember as we consider this portion of Matthew that we're in, the Sermon on the Mount, that this is first Jesus recorded teaching in Matthew. And we also are remembering that this teaching isn't um, a practical guide on how to live your life or the mark to which we hope to obtain in order to be righteous. But the Sermon on the Mount is for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It is for the people who have experienced the new birth. And it is, um, it is a map to show us the life and the characteristics of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And it involves the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Um, so as we finish the Beatitudes, we see in the Beatitudes a distinct group of people. A distinct characteristics of a group of people. And that's really what our passage today focuses on. A distinction between followers of Christ and the rest of the world. A very clear distinction. And in this distinction, we see we're made to be distinct. As followers of Christ, we are made to be distinct. And that comes from the new birth. And out of that new birth, out of that being made to be distinct, we are called to live distinct lives, distinguished from the world. So I've said that word a lot. Let me define the word distinct as we know in English. But to be recognized differently in nature from something else of a similar type. That word sounds so much like the new birth. To be recognized differently in nature from something similar, something else of similar type. We live in a world full of people, but our nature has been made different. As we have followed Christ, we have been born again. We are like the world, but not of the world, separate and distinct. And when you read the Beatitudes and you look at it carefully as we have and you say, whoa, you put all these together and this person is a lot different from the rest of the world. To be merciful, a peacemaker, to find joy in persecution and reviling, to hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, to be poor in spirit and mournful over that poverty. These are characteristics of someone that does not look like a normal person in the world. And when we started the Beatitudes, we kind of had a definition of what the Beatitudes meant. And I like to go back to it um, for for our help in this section. And it is from a, a pastor, John Stott, and he says, the Beatitudes set forth the blessing, 
Blessed are, blessed are. The Beatitudes set forth the blessings God bestows not, on, not as a reward for your good behavior, but as a gift of grace. And who is he bestowing that on? On those in whom he is working such character. In the Beatitudes, you're not blessed because you have worked real hard to be merciful. You are blessed because you have been shown mercy by God himself. And there no for God's mercy And in knowing God's mercy and in receiving God's mercy, you are blessed. And all likewise with all the Beatitudes, these things are not inherent within us, but have been brought into us, has been created and molded into us by the new birth. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now let's keep that in mind and let's read our passage one more time. Verses 13 through 16. And let's think about a distinction. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I I was thinking about... Well, I happened to listen to a, a video yesterday and it referenced this idea in this passage about a city set on a hill. And it reminded me of how I have heard that used as we consider today the, in, the, the independence of the United States of America. And I've heard that term as applied to America, a shining city on a hill. I had no idea where it came from, but I know, I know that uh, JFK used it in a speech. Reagan used it many times, and it's just it, it, it definitely gets caught up in political talk and campaigns that America is a shining city on a hill. I had no idea where that came from, but found out that today, or I found out this weekend that it's from a um, from the Puritans that came over when they established Boston in the early 1600s. And that statement that we shall be a city set on a hill, their eyes are upon us. And that has become like what we hold out in our country as our aim, our goal. And we strive after that as a country. And because of the uniqueness of the country, eyes are upon America. They have been from the beginning, and they continue to be because of the, the different nature that our country took in the beginning. And so everyone had their eyes upon this country. It's very similar to what we see here in this passage. 
You think about the Beatitudes and this group of people that Jesus has described so unique to the rest of the world. The eyes are watching us. They're looking at us every day, every hour. The eyes are upon us because we are distinct. You see, what grabs your attention when you're driving down the road? Not something that is the same or the normal, but something that is different or distinguished from the rest of your view. That distinction draws your eyes. And that's what Jesus is showing us through the beginning, through the Beatitudes and in this statement. Look at this distinction that he makes. Just finishing the Beatitudes, he says, You are not just the salt but the salt of the earth. And then in verse 14, he says, you're not just light, but you're light of the world. You're not just a city, but you're a city set on a hill. He is distinguishing greatly the followers of Christ from the rest of the world. Salt of earth, city on a hill, light of the world. And so when we are in the world, we can look around and we can see the difference ourselves. Or at least we should. We should be able to look around and see the difference. And it's not that we dress differently, though sometimes we do. But the difference is inward and is revealed outwardly. The difference for the follower of Christ is what has taken place inwardly. And therefore, it's noticeably distinct because what comes from the heart comes out. It's not what goes in, but what comes out. And you consider Jesus. Jesus stuck out big time in His way of life, in His teaching, in his social engagements, he stuck out like a sore thumb. In his teaching, if we just con consider a few verses, and I'll just uh, read them to you. Consider Jesus' teaching. First, you see at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, they were astonished at his teaching. He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. But what did he teach? Love your enemy. That's a bit different. He taught uh, not to be anxious about tomorrow. That's a big difference. His teaching was distinct from all other teaching. His lifestyle. He's, he has followers or, or potential followers who says, Hey, we want to come with you. And you know what he says? Foxes have holes, the bird of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. His lifestyle was different and distinct from the rest of the world. And his social engagements were different as well. When he calls Matthew to be a follower, a disciple, do you know what the Pharisees say? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's a distinction. A drastic distinction. But what invoked Jesus' distinction? Why was he so different other than the fact that he was the Son of God. Let's 
dig deeper into that. He understood the kingdom that he lived for. Jesus' distinction was driven by knowing the kingdom that he lived for. We live in this world. Are you driven by this world? Or are your eyes focused and your determination on the kingdom that we which cannot see yet? The kingdom that we have been brought into through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. See, we talked about this last Sunday night. We always have to remember as we consider doctrine, theology, life application, that this isn't just, let's be better. Let's do this. But it's a miraculous thing that has taken place in the life of a Christ follower. The dead has been made alive. Did you, did you hear that? The dead has been made alive in Christ Jesus. This isn't just turn over a new leaf and be better and do better. This is the Spirit of God dwells in you. You have been justified before God through the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. So then, so now, go, be, do. You are distinct because what God has done to you. That is the follower of Christ. Someone who has been made different. We get a better sense of Jesus' understanding of this when He speaks to Pilate in John 18. Jesus has been arrested, mocked, beaten, falsely accused, put before a... Um, a court uh, of no justice, and he stands before Pilate, the governor. Verse eight or verse thirty-three of chapter eighteen in John, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" Jesus answered, "Do you say this on your own accord, or did others say it to you about me?" Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, Here we go, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Do you believe in the supernatural? Do you believe that there is a realm outside of the world that which we live in? As someone who is born again by the Holy Spirit, you have been brought into a realm, into a world, into a kingdom that is not of this one. You have been made with the material of this realm, of this kingdom. You could say you've been cut by the same cloth of this kingdom that Jesus is speaking of. So we walk into the church today and every Sunday, and is it just a formality? Are you walking into a building 
to hear a man talk about what someone said a long time ago? Or have you walked in because you have been bought with the blood of Christ? Because you have the Spirit of God indwelling in you. Have you been made new? Have you been made with this material of the kingdom of heaven? If so, you are distinct. You are salt of the earth. You are a light in the world. You are a city. You are part of a city that sits on the hill. You have been made distinct and for a purpose by the blood of Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Let me read the rest of what Jesus says here. Pilate says to him in verse 37, So you are a king. Jesus answered him, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. Where was he born? In this world. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world. For the purpose of the kingdom that is not of this world. Do you see that? Do you see how the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, has been born into this world for the sake of a purpose for the kingdom of heaven? You have been born again while you live in this world for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He says, to bear witness to the truth. He has come to bear witness to the truth in this world. Everyone who is in the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said, what is truth? You see the distinction? The truth has set us free in Christ Jesus. And Pilate says, what is truth? Salt of the earth, light of the world, city on a hill. We have been set free We have been saved out of this world. We have been brought into the kingdom of heaven. We have been made new. We have been made salt of the earth, light to the world. Uh, Let me read this. So I want us to understand the work of Christ. His righteous life. His sacrificial death. And it's by him and through him that you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And the work of Christ does not fail, does not fall short, but saves his people for all eternity. Let me read this to you. Hebrews 10:14 says by a single offering he Jesus has perfected For all time, those who are being sanctified. That word sanctified in that verse is another way of saying has been made distinct. Has been separated, set apart. By a single offering, the life, the blood of Christ has perfected for all time those who are being made distinct. Who are being separated out of this world for the sake 
of the kingdom of God and His glory. Now, so you've been made distinct. We're called to live distinct lives. You say you're salt. Now what? Do what salt does. Preserves, gives flavor. We cannot say, I'm salt, but have no saltiness. If we, are, if we say we are salt of the earth, but yet have no saltiness, we do not do what salt does, we are thrown out. We are worthless. Now, I want you to keep in mind as we read this warning, as we read this warning in Matthew 5, that salt that has no saltiness is thrown out. I want you to keep in mind what I just read in Hebrews 10. This is not a passage that says, I am salt. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I have lost my saltiness and now I am no longer a citizen of the kingdom of God. That is impossible. To be a citizen of the kingdom of God in the sight of Christ, justified before God, born again, you cannot be separated from the kingdom of God. This is a warning to ask, are you salt? And how do you know you're salt? Well, you're salty. That's how you know you're salt. Are you a light? How do you know if you're light? Do you shine? And we'll get into more of that, of what that really looks like in our lives. But he says, and he says, in verse 13 and 14, I'm sorry, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt without saltiness is, is pointless. It is no good. You might as well throw it out. Now, I don't think we've ever, I've never had salt so long that it didn't wasn't salty, but we're, we're kind of talking about a little different. It's not the, you know, our salt shakers that we're talking about. Salt was very important. But we don't want to get caught up in like what salt was and what it does. But we understand that if salt is not salty, it is useless. We also understand that a light that does not shine is pointless. We can also understand that a lamp that is put in a closet has no need. It's pointless. It's useless. See what he says. If you are, you are a light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a light, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand that it might be seen. A citizen of the kingdom of heaven, hear me here, hear me now. A citizen of the kingdom of heaven Someone who claims to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that does not seek to live like Christ is not actually a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. A citizen or someone who claims to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that does not seek to live life like Christ, they're not salty. Their light doesn't work. They are not a citizen of the kingdom. At best, 
At best, they are a confused or unlearned citizen of the kingdom of heaven. At best. What does it look like to be salt? What does it look like to be salty? To give off light? To shine on a hill? I'm going to give you three things very broadly. Very broadly. And know that these are massive. And under them fall so many things. But just take these three things. To be salty, to shine your light, to be a city on a hill. You one, you stand in and for truth. Now basically, this. You stand for and in this. For the sake of time, I'm going to read this to you. And you can take a closer look at it this week. This is what David had to say about the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The rules of the Lord are true. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. You got one of these at home. Pretty sure. Do you read it? If you do, maybe once a month. Once every couple months. To be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is to see the word of God as perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, better than gold, and sweeter than honey. A salty citizen stands in and for truth, stands for the word of God. The second thing is, they obey it. You got to know it first to obey it, right? To obey the Word of God. Now look what he says. This is Psalm 19, by the way, for you, for you to be able to go and look at it this weekend. David says, right after that, Moreover, by then is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Look what he says. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden fault. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let, not, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If we have a relationship with the Word of God that acknowledges it as sweeter than honey and more precious than gold, then we will listen and obey. And I, again, these are, this is not all encompassing. This is not all uh, characteristics of a salty citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But the third thing is love. Love. You can go through the last 
Well, you could go through John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 and see the word love over and over and over again. And it begins with, in John 13, the love of Christ for His followers. And it says that Jesus loved His disciples to the end. And that includes us today. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing created. Nothing. And if we have the love of Christ and know the love of Christ, then we are called to share the love of Christ. New commandment that I give you, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. So you also are to love one another. Do you know, Jesus says, if you love me, do you know how I know if you love me? We say this to my kids all the time. I know you love me because you keep my commandments. John 14. Those who love the Lord keep His commandments. And the love that we share, the love that is shown in the world by us together, is what shines the light of Christ to a fallen world that does not know the love of Christ. Our love together as brothers and sisters in Christ shine brightly what God has done for us. Shines brightly. So stand in and for truth, obey it, and love others. Many, many other things to say and to know even in those few things. So, if you say you're salt, you have to be salty. You have to be salty. So let's conclude here with the end of this passage in Matthew. There is a purpose for our distinction. There is a purpose for what God has made us and for what God is calling us to do and be. Look at 15 in Matthew 5. Nor do people put a uh, put nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way let your light shine before others. Here is the purpose. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The purpose of our, distinct, the purpose of our distinction, meaning the purpose of our salvation. You walk out these doors today and you say, and someone says, do you know Jesus Christ? Yes, I got saved this day or that day. Are you distinct? Can it be seen? The purpose of our distinction, of our salvation, is for the sake of the glory of God. All things were made through Him, by Him, and for Him. He tells... Israel, and also us, 
down the line that He saves us, He changes us for the sake of His name. But do you know what Israel had done to His name up to that point? And what we have done to His name up to the point of being made distinct? We have run His name into the ground. Apart from Christ and the Spirit of God, we have done damage to the name. You were created by God so that you might glorify God. Every person on this earth was created for the glory of God. Someone remind me what Romans 3 says. For we have all fallen short of the glory of God. He tells Israel through Ezekiel, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before your eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and shall, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. He says, for my name's sake. And you might respond, well, that's pretty self-centered. That's pretty self-focused. We are the clay. And He is the potter. You breathe this morning because God said so. You live another day because God said so. All that you have is because God said so. Yet we have profaned His name and fallen short of the glory of God. And we come together week by week giving thanks for His mercy and His kindness that has brought us into a kingdom that is not of this world, that He has removed us, who has saved us from our flesh, removed us from this world, made us into something new. He has given us a new heart, put a new spirit within us, and He is causing us to walk in His statutes and to carefully obey His rule. For His glory, He acts. And we are recipients of His goodness for the sake of His glory. Uh, I looked up the document or speech that John Winthrop gave in the early 1600s when he made this statement, for we must consider that we shall be as a city on a hill. The eyes of the people are upon us. I kind of read to you what he said before that. Consider being salt of the earth and the light of the world when I read this. 
We must follow the counsel of Micah to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. For this end, we must be knit together in this work as one man. We must entertain each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to abridge ourselves of our superlatives for the supply of other, others' necessities. We must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness, gentleness, patience, and liberality. We must delight in each other, make others' conditions our own, rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our commission and community in the work as the members of the same body. So we must keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us and His own people and will command a blessing upon us in all our ways so that we may see much more of His wisdom, power, goodness, and truth that formerly we have been acquainted with. We shall find that the God of Israel is among us. When ten of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies, when, we, when he shall make us a praise and glory that men shall say of su- uh, succeeding plantations, may the Lord make it like that of New England. For we must consider that we shall be a city upon a hill. That was not a cry for a nation, but that was a cry to the church to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city on a hill. Do you uphold? Do you value more? Which citizenship do you value more? The one that will pass in this world or the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven? This is what we are called to This is why we are made distinct. For His glory, look what He says. For we must consider that we shall be a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. So that if we shall deal falsely with our God in in this work we have undertaken, and so cause Him to withdraw His presence from us, we shall be made a story and a byword through the world. We shall open the mouths of enemies to speak evil of the ways of God and all professors for God's sake. We shall shame the faces of many of God's worthy servants and cause their prayers to be turned into curses upon us till we are consumed out of the good land whether we are going. But if our hearts shall turn away so that they will not obey but shall be seduced, the worship of other gods, our pleasures and profits, and serve them. It is profounded unto this day. We shall surely perish out of this good land. John Winthrop's concern was not a a country, a nation that would thrive and, and, and move forward, but it was that the place that they would dwell would give glory to their Lord, their Creator, their sustainer. So as we close today and we look to the elements of the Lord's Supper, 
a distinction is made when we partake. When we pick up the bread and eat and we drink of the cup, we are saying we have been made distinct. We have been born of God, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, bought by the blood of Christ, the blood that was poured out for the new covenant. And so let us consider what these remind us of. Let us consider the work of God through Jesus Christ. Let us consider. Let us consider if we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let's give thanks to the work of Jesus Christ, to us, his children. So with that, let's pray and then we will partake. Lord God, we thank you for the work of your hand through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're thankful that we, you have not left us into our own devices, that you have brought to us your very spirit. And by faith, we have been made new. Help us to be distinct. Help us to live in meekness and gentleness, love and kindness. Help us to stand firm in and for the truth. Help us to love others as we have been loved by Christ. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.